Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, my Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us today. I hope that you have reflected on some of your past successes while diving into all those challenges during the last week. We've tried to bring you shows that will help you better understand individuals with disabilities or to give resources to people or families living with disabilities. Today, I'm really excited to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is school psychology. Um, I'm really happy to have on board today a colleague and a friend from the California Association of School Psychologists, Brian Learn. He'll be with us a little bit later. Uh, he'll be joining us in that second and third segment. But um, I've had the pleasure of interviewing the past two cast presidents, and I'm really happy to have Brian on today. I became a school psychologist in 1993, and I've been practicing as a licensed psychologist since 1997. All the work that I've done in school has been with children with severe, challenging problems. I was fascinated by a combination of psychological and academic supports and chose to make the career out of mostly focusing on children with developmental disabilities and children living with emotional challenges and traumatic life experiences. And that's why we've had shows uh, on those topics. Um, including having a pretty long series of shows on children that have lived traumatic life events. Um, in my own practice, I've always emphasized a good understanding of a child by also understanding those around them. And I, I really stick to the saying that Carl Jung stated about 50 years ago, which is before deciding on changing anything on a child, First, look at the adults around that child and see what they must change first. I see a lot of kids that are what we might call the identified patient, but truly they're caught up in an environment that has brought a lot of challenges to their life, and they're usually not the ones that are bringing the challenges, though it may seem that way. Uh, I see school psychology as a community effort to support the needs of children and young adults in school. So, so where did it all come from? You know, what's the history behind school psychology? And it's kind of broken up into three periods. The, the first period is, was, was called the hybrid years. And it was kind of like from 1890 to 1969. And it's when school psychology first became a kind of a blend between psychological and educational, and it loosely began to create what we now call a psychoeducational assessment. Um, social reform implemented, which included compulsive, compulsory schooling, juvenile courage, child labor laws, mental health and vocational guidance, these cultural and social advances were a major push for the need for school psychologists, particularly compulsory education. 
which was established in around 1918, resulted in a mass learning of adults from diverse backgrounds. Some of these children showed up for school in poor general health. Some tended to learn slower than their peers. Physical and mental examinations became necessaries in the school settings. By 1910, some special education services were in place. Many urban and rural communities took advantage of these services. Due to the emergence of special education services, quote-unquote experts were needed to assist in the selection and placement of children in these services. Thus, school psychologists became the gatekeepers for special education, and that's kind of how that concept evolved. And it's something that we, as school psychologists, don't really want to be called uh, because we don't want to decide who gets help and who doesn't get help. It's always been the most difficult part of our job is the assessments and determining where the cutoff is on typical educational development and when a kid needs help. Um, early models of school psychology evolved primarily from Leitner-Wipner and Stanley Hall. Wipner mostly focused on the ideographic clinical model. So he was like really wanted to provide like an actual assessment for the individual, looking at that individual's assessment and determining interventions for him as, a, as an individual. Hall's focus was more about research. And what he was really into was creating norm groups and looking at characteristics of groups. So over the ensuing years, these two approaches melded to form the foundations of school psychology, particularly in the testing movement. No individual is more recognized in the forefront of this testing movement than Alfred Bernay. Together with Theodore Simon, and we have a test out there where that we call the Simon Bidet uh, intelligence test. The two helped spur the individual testing movement by developing the first practical intelligence test battery, which assessed higher level cognitive skills and produced substantial correlations with measures of school achievement. So it was the first time we were ever able to look at a combination of intellectual ability and then associate that intellectual ability with predicted levels of academic ability. So if you scored in what would be an average range, and those averages came about from Hall doing his normative data, uh, then your academics would expect to be normal, normal or at an average typical level. So it was the first time they were able to kind of put those measurements into place. Binet in World War I had a major influence on the development of group tests. He created the Army Alpha and the Army Beta. These were our tests that were used by the Army to, for placement, for placement in different ranks. And the, the development of individual ability and achievement tests helped define the primary role and function of early school psychologists. These tests were used in differentiating students with different abilities and, and achievement levels and became the main tool used by school psychologists in educational settings. In 1925, we saw the first establishment of the first school psychology training program at, at NYU, New York University. And in 1930, it brought the first doctoral level training program also into New York and into Pennsylvania. The 1930s, continued with the establishment of the American Psychological Association and ex 
but it excluded most practicing school psychologists because most did not have doctoral level training, which was a requirement for membership. The American Association of Applied Psychologists was formed and had less stringent membership requirements, thus many school psychologists became members. In 1945, the establishment of Division 16 of, the, of APA formed specifically for the specialty of school psychology. Finally, in 1969, the National Association of School Psychologists was formed. NASP brought, brought practitioners nationwide together to form a stable and, and strengthen our identity. Now, actually, CASP, our California Association of School Psychologists, if I'm not mistaken, was created in 1967, which was two years before the National Association. So I know that we were one of the first school psychology associations in the United States, and I know that it was somewhere around 1967-68, because at that convention, there was a challenge, uh, protesters, and they had to shut down the convention. And apparently country, uh, uh, what's his name, Country Joe and the Fish were playing at the, uh, at the convention. So that's way back. So anyways, the associations were so important because they began to network people. And that's why it's exciting to have Brian on the show today because he's kind of the head of that networking association right now. In 1975, Congress passed the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, better known at the time as Public Law 94-142. This provided, this proved to be a landmark legislation requiring public schools to provide students with a broad range of disabilities, including physical handicaps, mental retardation, speech, vision, language problems, emotional and behavioral problems, and other learning disorders. And it was with a free and appropriate public education. The passage of PL 94-142 triggered an enormous growth in the number of school psychologists, practitioners from, whoop, 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 sorry, from 5,000 in 1970 to 10,000 or more by 1980 and 20,000 in 1988. I actually remember when I became a school psychologist in 1993, it was the first uh, uh, time we had a shortage. And we currently have a shortage again, just not enough people to, to supply the needs. So with that tremendous growth came corresponding increases in the number of state associations, where there were 17 in 1970, and by 1989, there were 48 of them. So 48, almost the whole country. The National Association began assuming much more responsibility in determining the educational and professional qualification standards, as well as moving from reactive model simply responding to information and recommendations from outside agencies to a proactive role working to influence the types of decisions these agencies might make. Professionally, NAS developed a monthly newsletter called the Communique, a quarterly journal which is called the School Psychology Review, came out in 72, publishing best practices books in 1985, a national certification which started in 1988, and a national directory of training programs. 
Uh, Dr. Learn has been the head of the school psychology department at Loyola Marymount University for, or I believe, about 20 years and uh, has made major influences in the field in regards to children of linguistically different, diverse backgrounds, looking at how kids can uh, learn in uh, multiple diverse ways. He, in the past, had studied and looked at resiliency issues that assist the individual to get through difficult experiences. Uh, he is, his topics of interests are self-regulated learning behaviors, metacognition, which is the ability to think about thinking, for one, and assessment. Uh, he's been on the school on the California Association of School Psychologists board for also about 20 years, and has been a leader on that board, especially again in the culturally and, and language diverse uh, um, crowd. Uh, he got his degrees at both the University of Southern California and at Cal State Long Beach, where he got his master's in counseling and he got his PhD in educational psychology at USC. So he's currently is president of the California Association of School Psychologists. And CAS's mission is to provide high quality educational and leadership programs that maintain high standards of practice of school psychologists through legislative advocacy, professional development, communication, publications, ethics guidelines, health and successful outcomes for children and schools and communities that they serve. And that mission statement was adopted in about four years ago. So we're just about at a break time. And when we return, we're going to bring Dr. Learn on and have a nice conversation about what his interests currently are, which is about self-investment taking care of yourself. As school psychologists, we spend a lot of time taking care of a lot of people, and now it's time to learn how to take care of ourselves. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. 
we can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back, Voice America listeners, and hope you had a chance to go and grab yourself a cup of coffee and you settled in for the rest of the show. So I'm excited to have on this morning Dr. Brian Learn from Loyola Marymount University and the current president of the California Association of School Psychologists. So good morning, Brian. How are you today? I'm good, Dr. Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's very nice to have you also. We had the chance, oh, talk about 20 years ago, about 15 years ago, to work together. And so it's always nice to be able to connect again. Uh, tell us a little bit yes. about yourself, Brian. How did you uh, get involved in this work with individuals with disabilities? Well, you know, uh, Dr. Sun, as you mentioned, um, that's kind of the traditional work of school psychologists. Um, so when I became a school psychologist, uh, geez, almost 30 years ago, um, you know, that's kind of the nature of the work, you know, so we focus on the kids who need help, uh, whether they are actually diagnosed as disabled or not, you know, that was the role that we had for school psychologists. What uh, got you interested in the first place when you were in your, did you find interest when you were in your bachelor's program or what brought you, gravitated you towards school psychology? Wow, you know, that's interesting. You know, my, my path to become a school psychologist is actually uh, not very academic. Um, you know, I was a pre-med major uh, thinking that I want to be a doctor. And mm. along the way, the path got more and more difficult with all the science classes. And then my favorite cousin was a psych major. So I became a psych major strictly because of uh, hero worship. <laughs> yeah, and then I got a psych degree and then discovered school psychology and the rest is history. Well, it's funny because the majority of people that I know that are school psychologists did not go into school. They didn't wake up when they were in high school and go, oh, I want to be a school psychologist. They mostly 
they yeah. maybe they wanted to be a therapist or they wanted to be more of a clinical person, but they didn't think a lot about school. And so I find it interesting that you're, you're that you say this that something else brought you into it. And I think that that it kind of goes with the history of what I was talking about earlier, where there is this combination between psychology and academics, and that you start to find an interest not only in disabilities, but just in learning and how people learn in different ways and in diverse ways. You've had a lot of work working with a diverse population of kids. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your interest there. Why uh, Why did you, earlier on in your career, you spent a lot of time with bilingual assessment, diverse cultures that weren't getting the attention that they need. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, before I do, let me respond to something you said. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right that a lot of school psychologists uh, did kind of discover the career, the profession, accidentally. I think that's because in the undergraduate psychology programs, most professors, in fact, I say 95% of professors, do not ever talk about school psychology as a possible career because most professors in in psychology department are either clinical, developmental, experimental, community. There are very few, if any, school psychology professors in undergraduate psychology programs. So most psych majors going through their undergraduate psychology uh, studies never hear about school psychology as a potential career. So most of us sort of discover school psychology accidentally. So, uh, so one of the things that I'm doing as CASP president this year is I'm asking all our regional representatives, we have 10 regions, um, in the state, I'm asking each regional representative to go and speak to a university uh, or college and talk to undergraduates about the career of school psychology um, so people understand how wonderful this career is and that, uh, you know, it pays well, you got a lot of respect on campus, you can do all kinds of things. So anyway, that was just to respond to how I, like many, so many other of my colleagues, maybe you too, sort of discover school psychology by accident. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, anyway. I, didn't even, I didn't even know what a school psychologist was probably prior to 1989, 1990, a year before I actually went in. I was going into a clinical program, <laughs> yeah. and that was going to, you know, it's all I knew about. So when I didn't actually get right. into the clinical program that I wanted to, I thought, oh, no, that's the end. And then I discovered I had already been working in schools and working with kids, and it was just this perfect combination between my own psychological uh, uh, interests or interest in psychology and the interest in kids. Last year, maybe it was a year before, I actually had the opportunity to go down to a high school and speak to their psychology class and psychology club about school psychologists. And what we do versus, and they had never, those kids had never really, I mean, they knew that there was a school psychologist at their school, but all they knew about them was that they helped the kids that had disabilities. They really didn't know about resources and career help and counseling and all the other things that we do. And helping those new kids that come into the school and maybe their language is different or they're from a different country or something and trying to assist them 
also. So, yeah, getting the word out. And that's why I'm very excited about your presidency, because it's not just about assessment or just about some mundane issue within school psychology. You're trying to get the word out and get people to develop themselves. So I go back again. So tell me a little bit about your your interest in working with diverse students. Yeah, so, you know, when I was a school psychologist, you know, my general focus, as I said, the traditional focus is to on those kids who are not doing well in school. And kids who speak a different language, um, kids who are ethnic minorities, you know, tend to come from, you know, lower socioeconomic uh, levels, and they don't do as well in school for various reasons, which were too, too much to go into. So they tend to be the ones that come to the forefront. You know, they get referred for assessment, they get referred by teachers for behavior problems, you know, what have you. So pretty soon I, I've realized that a lot of my caseload are kids with diverse um, cultural and language backgrounds. You know, so that kind of piqued my interest and said, you know, how come these kids are always coming up? You know, there's something going on here. It's certainly not genetic. You know, so what is it in the environment that we could change to help them do better in schools? So that's kind of how I got interested in that topic and that population. Yeah, so so many uh, years of kids from diverse backgrounds being placed into special pro- – you know that between 19 – I think it was 1935 and 1965, if you had a Latino last name, Garcia, Pena, whatever, and you lived in the San Bernardino County area, you automatically went into a specialized class. If – yeah. And without any kind of assessment, no assessment, nothing, just the fact yeah. that you didn't have the language. And that's when uh, uh, Mercer came out with that system of pluralistic assessment, where she first looked at a multipluralistic assessment, SAMPA, if you remember that, was this idea. It was the first yeah. time where we're going to look at like multiple environments. We're not going to just look at the school. We're not going to just look at the classroom. We're going to look at how's this kid doing? when he's outside because there became this thing known as the six-hour mental retardation where the kid when he was at school was considered mentally retarded but when he went home he was taking care of everything and doing all the things that she needed to do for herself so this the concern that students were being placed and and it's not just the concern about being placed I also have great concerns for diverse students of not being given supports when they need it, especially like our Asian students, not giving the academic supports when necessary, not given uh, uh, emotional, this is the biggest one, emotional supports when necessary. Like it's like an automatic, you walk into a classroom that has children with emotional disturbance being served and it is extremely rare, first of all, that you'll see any females Secondly, it's extremely rare that you'll see any Asian students in those programs whatsoever. It's too often African-American students, and we've had challenges with assessment of African-American students where certain tests were not allowed, thinking that they were not uh, uh, useful tools, therefore, in particular, IQ tests, and therefore, a lot of kids who did need support because of intellectual levels were not getting that assessment and are now are being placed in multiple ED, emotionally disturbed types of programs. So we see this, yeah, 
We want to make sure that the kids that are coming from various backgrounds get help. But there's also this concern out there that some kids aren't getting the help that they need just because we have these biases ourselves. I don't know. That was a lot yeah. to say, but I don't know what yeah. to think about. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, actually, um, you know, as I progress in my career, I am uh, more and more convinced and, you know, probably lots of people have already discovered that psychology in general is very pathology-focused. You know, we're always looking at what's wrong and trying to fix. And, in fact, you know, I think our work as school psychologists, as you said, it shouldn't be all about assessment. Because by the time you get to assessment, you're at the back end of the problem. We should be right. at the front end. You know, we should do a lot more things before the problem becomes a, an issue, before the kid needs to be assessed at all. Right. You know, and school psychologists, unfortunately, have become special ed psychologists. So, yes. you know, in my training program, I always emphasize to my students, our title is school psychologist. We are for the entire school and not just for special ed kids. And right. it's really important for us to be involved in the front end and the back end of supporting kids. And in that respect, as a school psychologist, we should also think about supporting the adults, which would be the teachers and the parents, right? So the work isn't just about wanting to find the right tests and what do we do with the kids. You know, it's about how do we support parents, how do we support teachers, so then they can be part of the team to work with individual kids at the front end before they become problems. Right. I absolutely agree with you. Hey, we're going to have to take a little break, but we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back again. And we've been talking this morning with Dr. Brian Learn of Loyola Marymount University and current president of the California Association of School Psychologists. We were talking about assessment and specifically what school psychologists do. And one of the things that Brian said was that we tend as school psychologists to focus on the pathologies. Now, what does that mean? That means we tend to focus on the the difficulties, the challenges, the quote-unquote disabilities. And we don't, which is a very weakness-focused approach. We don't tend to focus on the strengths. Why do you think, Brian, that has become the way things are? Why do we focus so much on the pathologies, as you've stated? Well, you know, if you look at the history of psychology as a profession, um, that's how it got started. You know, psychologists were uh, the ones that cure problems, you know, with mental problems, psychological problems. So clinical psychology was really the birth, and then uh, test and measurement is another aspect of the, of the history of the profession. So as you look at the, the course of the development of, the, of, the, of, the, of psychology as a profession, it has always focused on how to solve problems, how to intervene, how to help people feel better, which is great, which is a wonderful thing. But the problem is when we start doing that, we only focus on symptoms. And we forget the other side, which is that what about the well-being? You know, we all know that just because you're not sick, it doesn't mean you're well, right? So if somebody's right. not sick, then the psychologist will okay, I won't deal with you. I'll look for somebody who's really sick. But the person who's not sick, it doesn't mean they're well. So we really need to focus more on developing people's well-being. It's a buffer. So you mentioned in my background that resilience, you know, is an area that was an interest and now it's become a, a forefront for me. So one of my heroes is Dr. Mike Furlong at the University of California, Santa Barbara, who has done the last 10 years or so, his primary area of research, as you know, Dr. Sean, is positive psychology that is studying when and how students and people are at their best, not at their worst, not that we don't want to deal with problems they have, but how do we study, we study what is it that help people do their best, and right. when they're at their best, what's going on? That's the right. kind of work that I think school psychologists really shift to, work on the front end and not just only at the back end when we're assessing and placement and dealing with pathology, IEP which are all wonderful, but it cannot be the only thing that we do. Well, it's, it's, it's such a medical model of, of pathology. Yeah, and, model. And, and, you know, it's funny because when psychologists first started, I'm a big history buff, when psychologists first started, we were actually called alienists because there were certain <laughs> alien forms in our body, not like extraterrestrial aliens, but just aliens to which were another word for pathologies, and the alienists were there to determine what the pathologies were. The 
Yeah. issue about positive psychology is people, in fact, we did a show on positive psychology last year. The issue is that people think when they hear those words, they think, oh, we're going to be positive. We're going to be in a good mood. We're going to be happy. And that's not what it's about at all. What you said is what it's about. Oh. Finding the resources, knowing the resources that make you successful, that make your life the way you want it to be, that make you happy. Right. Not that life is happy all the time, but there are certain things that you can put into place to determine or to assist you in achieving your goals. And I know that uh, a big goal of your presidency and the convention theme this year is self-investment. And talk to me a little bit about that. Tell me about your ideas in regards to self-investment and how the school psychologist or the educator can do that. Well, I think the idea of self-investment is simply that it, you cannot do your best work if you're not at your best yourself. And, uh, and that, uh, in order to be at your best, you have to regularly invest in yourself. Uh, investing in yourself in many different ways, physically, psychologically, emotionally, financially even, uh, interpersonally. You know, you've got to spend some time and maybe even resources to help yourself be the best person that you can be. Then you're in a position to help other people. And I don't know whether you know or not, um, uh, school psychologists in California no longer are required to do continued education uh, right. to renew their credential. Which and I've always was, believed uh, was the downfall. That former governor made, and it's, right. a, it's a really the worst thing that could possibly do for, for a profession. I believe um, so and also. so I am working to try to reinstitute continuing education for school psychologists so that we can all keep updated and we're at our best to serve kids and families. Right. We uh, so often see the school psychologist working very, very hard and stressing out. And what you, what you said in regards to the lack of continuing education requirement is it's not only the it's not only a professional standards issue, Brian, it's an ethical issue. One of the ethical areas is the pursuit of excellence. This idea that once you get your degree, once you get your, your licenses or whatever, that's not the end of your learning. You must continue yeah. to develop yourself. And school psychology is not what it was. When I graduated in 1993, that's 25 years ago. It is very, very different now than it was then. When, it, yeah. when I came out of school, we were assessing towards looking at differences between intellectual levels and academic ability. We looked for a discrepancy to see if there was a big enough difference. If the numbers were right, then the kid got in. We didn't uh, pay attention to past interventions. We didn't pay attention to current technologies that are available to kids. Everything became, you, you said it also earlier, the school psychologist has become the special ed school psychologist, the special education school psychologist, rather than the school, the whole school psychologist. And there are a lot of kids that want to improve themselves uh, and don't have those opportunities within the school setting because they're only allotted to special needs and they're not allotted to the others. Now, 
I've kind of gone off on a tangent. I want to go back to your idea of self-investment of the psychologist. You said different areas, emotional, physical, financial. Like how do you, as a psychologist, you're supposed to have it together. You're supposed to, you know, not have (laughs) issues, right? You're supposed to be the one that helps other people. So a a big part or problem, I guess I want to say, is that people don't want to seek help because they feel shame and guilt around that. What are your feelings around that? Right. Yeah, we're supposed to be the experts. We're supposed to have all the answers. So I'm trying to normalize that process, you know, with uh, the convention as a theme to say, look, you know, if you really want to help people, then you've got to make sure that you're in a position to help people. You know, so the whole notion of self-care is a start. You know, taking care of yourself, but you also have to take care of your brain, not just your body. You know, you've got to learn new things. Like you said, you know, I graduated, you know, even earlier than you, and things have changed drastically. And I find many school psychologists are locked into what they've been doing. And, in fact, that's one of the reasons why they don't move out of the testing role is because they haven't learned some new skills for them to provide to the school. So they stay with the same thing they've been doing for the last five years, ten years, and they are not able to move and change, transform their role into something other than testing and a special ed psychologist. I really want school psychologists to go back to become school psychologists and not school psychometrists, but school and the psychologist term. We really need to go back to what our title is called and do the kind of work we're supposed to be doing. And that requires, for many practicing school psychologists, learning new skills, not just taking care of themselves, but also learning new skills so they can be doing some other things in the school. I remember when it was probably the mid-90s and curriculum-based measurement first came out, which was a way of taking the kids' own curriculum and measuring how fast they read or how well they did their math or how well they spelled words from their actual curriculum. And it was the first time as school psychologists that we began to measure regular ed kids so that we would have these norm groups. And we didn't do this in a lot of districts, but I remember El Monte School District doing this and that we all got together and we we assessed, oh, I don't know, about 30 kids from each grade level so that we could have a norm group around what would be expected at third grade reading, what would be expected at fourth grade reading. And that was not just based on kids with problems. It was based on kids with, you know, that were doing well also so that we could say, hey, this is why they're doing well because they can read it. So you can be a psychometrician, but you don't have to just focus on the pathology as we've spoken about earlier. Maybe you focus on, on new programs in the school, or how do these regular ed kids do so well? Why is this classroom doing so well when the classroom next door isn't doing so well? We uh, right. have about a minute. And you we know, have about, a, have about a minute before our break, but but go ahead. I was going to say this is an opportune time for school psychologists to get involved in the regular education. You know, the new federal law, ESSA, E-S-S-A, talks about. Um, talks about school climate. It talks about other indicators of success. And this is the time, and it talks about MTSS, the multi-tier system of support. I encourage all listeners to, if they, their parents, 
to go to their school and ask their school, what's going on at my school related to MTSS? That's a model, it's a framework to look at what kinds of services we could provide at the tier one level, core curriculum for every kid. And school psychologists right. should be involved in that, not just in tier two and tier three, but in tier one. It's not a law now. Absolutely. We will be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll hear more from Dr. Learn. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm talking with Dr. Brian Learn of Loyola Marymount University and the current president of the California Association of School Psychologists. We've been talking about different areas of school psychology, and specifically, we were just ended before the last break talking about what's called MTSS, multiple tier support services, the idea that you don't just have one level of support in schools, that schools can have a variety of support, starting with early introductions to see, for instance, one of the things that we have in our our school settings is our resource programs, programs that have a teacher that will help with reading, writing, and math. 
Now, kids don't get the opportunity to have that tutoring until they fall further and further and further behind. And wouldn't it be useful if what we saw was that right from the get-go, people were measuring why kids were being successful, why kids were doing well, and being able to measure the actual reasons around that so that they could give that to other people to say, hey, your kid might do better if this is in place. And that's how I see how school psychologists can get involved earlier. One of the things that we were saying during their break was that the only place where we're really seeing this right now is in like moral development programs, character counts, where the school psychologists might go into the kindergarten class and start right from the early stage working with kids to uh, to build those skills. So how do we make this into more of a public policy? Brian, you were talking about ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act. How does that, how can we work with that public policy to get school psychologists to move beyond their very traditional roles? Well, you know, ESSA requires every state, every state, which means every school district, to come up with a plan to deal with the indicators of student success. As I mentioned, ESSA, for the first time, I think, talks about non-academic indicators uh, for the school. And one of them is school climate. And that seems to me the perfect place where school psychologists can be involved. I mean, if, if we're not involved in helping a school improve its climate, who, who, who else would do it? You well, know, we're, we're supposed to be the expert in psychological issues, not just psychometry. So we should be the ones involved getting in the, how do we do build school climate? And within building school climate, geez, you can do all kinds of things. You know, we can do that um, well-being, we can do the resilience, we can do, uh, you can say, moral development, social-emotional learning. You can do all kinds of stuff to build uh, school positive climate, anti-bullying. I mean, you name it, you can put all kinds of, of services in that, within that framework of climate, because that, that ultimately is what sets the tone for learning. You know, you've got to have climate. People talk about the, the curriculum, you know, the teacher training. You know, but ultimately you've got to have a, a uh, psychological climate where the adults feel successful, the kids feel successful, and they feel they can work together. That's the kind of school every parent wants for their kids. You know, where the teachers enjoy teaching and the kids enjoy learning. Well, climate has to do with that. It's not just about the, 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 the reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's really about how people interact, you know, how do people see each other. You know, all those kinds of things, you know, makes a big difference. And I think school psychologists should and must get involved in that area. One of the things that happened at my daughter's elementary school, which I was really thrilled about and still am today is they have a program and it's they just call it their K-1 program, kindergarten first grade program. It is a class that has about 60 kids in it. So it's almost three classrooms big. Um, there are a head teacher for each grade. There is an assistant also in the classroom for each grade. And then there's one special ed teacher in the classroom also. So there's three teachers and three or four aides in this 
group of 60. The kids are combined with typical kids, kids with neurological issues, and kids with academic issues. They all are in class together for at least the first two years, and they help build each other's strengths. And what is really nice about that program is that the school psychologist goes into the program to uh, see how things are going and to work with the kids and to determine whether or not you know those kids are being successful the kids with disabilities are being successful because the kids without disabilities are understanding them better they're they have a disability awareness and now my daughter who's 11 now and in middle school is still friends and has over when we have parties some of the kids that may never have been invited to anything had they not had that early opportunity but it was the school psychologist that made sure that everybody was always having the resources that they needed in that class. And now all those kids are, are quite successful. I don't know what your thoughts are yeah, around that. Well, I but. would say the climate for the, for the disabled and the non-disabled kids have improved. The climate. You know, the interpersonal relationships, you know, that is what kids are all about. You know, when you talk about climate at a school, it's about relationship between the, among the kids and among the adult with the teacher. So any program that supports that is great. But what you described sounds very intense, resource intense. Most schools cannot afford to have that many adults in the schools, right? So one of the strategies that I have talked about is using, developing peer, peer-to-peer programs. You know, you can have uh, the school psychologists can train students to be peer counselors, peer tutors, peer ambassadors, I mean, peer all kinds of things, which kind of deal with, again, at the tier one general ed level before it escalates into something big. When it gets larger and deeper and harder, then it goes to the adults. But the kids can get involved. If they learn leadership skills and you have a school where everybody's involved in everything instead of just the adults, it always works better when the kids are involved in their own school, helping to make it, make it a better place. Absolutely. Brian, it has been really, really nice having you on the show today. I have known you a long time. I have the utmost respect for you. And I think that what you're doing with school psychologists, with the new students, is going to be the next 50 years of school psychology. And I thank you for guiding the school psychologists at the convention to take care of themselves and helping so many students uh, at your university to help other students out there. I think sometimes you guys as university professors don't realize what you do to to help the the bigger world out there. So guys, we are at the end of our show. We, uh, Brian, again, I want to just thank you very much. And thank you, Dr. Shaw, for having me on. And uh, I think you're doing a great job there with the radio program and educating people in the field, in the community. I just encourage parents, you know, go to the school and demand the school psychologists to do something for their kids, whether they're special ed or not special ed. They should be school psychologists. Absolutely. So remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings.
Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.